Book One, Part Five of A Confederate Girl's Diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Confederate Girl's Diary by Sarah Morgan Dawson. Book One, Part Five, June First to June Third, eighteen sixty-two. June first, Sunday. From the news brought by one or two persons who managed to reach here yesterday, I am more uneasy about mother and the girls. A gentleman tells me that no one is permitted to leave without a pass, and of these, only such as are separated from their families who may have left before. All families are prohibited to leave, and furniture and other valuables also. Here is an agreeable arrangement. I saw the pass, just such as we give our Negroes, signed by a Wisconsin colonel. Think of being obliged to ask permission from some low plowman to go in or out of our own house. Cannon are planted as far out as Colonel Davidson's, six of them at our graveyard, and one or more on all the other roads. If the guerrillas do not attempt their capture, I shall take it upon myself to suggest it to the very next one I see. Even if they cannot use them, it will frighten the Yankees, who are in a state of constant alarm about them. Their reason for keeping people in town is that they hope they will not be attacked so long as our own friends remain, thereby placing us above themselves in the scale of humanity, since they acknowledge we are not brute enough to kill women and children as they did not hesitate to do. Farragut pleads that he could not restrain his men, they were so enraged when the order was once given to fire, and says they would strike a few houses, though he ordered them to fire solely at horses and the clouds of dust in the street where guerrillas were supposed to be. The dust was by no means thick enough to conceal that these guerrillas were women, carrying babies instead of guns, and the horses were drawing buggies in which many a sick woman was lying. A young lady who applied to the Yankee general for a pass to come out here, having doubtless spoken of the number of women here who had fled and the position of the place, was advised to remain in town and write to the ladies to return immediately, and assure them that they would be respected and protected, etc., but that it was madness to remain at Greenwell, for a terrific battle would be fought there in a few days, and they would be exposed to the greatest danger. The girl wrote the letter, but, Mr. Fox, we are not quite such fools as to return there to afford you the protection our petticoats would secure to you, thereby preventing you from receiving condign punishment for the injuries and loss of property already inflicted upon us by you. No, we remain here, and if you are not laid low before you pass the Comite Bridge, we can take to the woods again and camp out, as many a poor woman is doing now a few miles from town. Many citizens have been arrested, and after being confined a while and closely questioned, have been released if the information is satisfactory. A negro man is informing on all cotton burners and violent secessionists, etc. Sunday night. The girls have just got back, riding in a mule team on top of baggage, but without either mother or any of our affairs. Our condition is perfectly desperate. 
Miriam had an interview with General Williams which was by no means satisfactory. He gave her a pass to leave and bring us back, for he says there is no safety here for us. He will restrain his men in town and protect the women, but once outside he will answer neither for his men nor the women and children. As soon as he gets horses enough, he passes this road going to Camp Moor with his cavalry, and then we are in greater danger than ever. Any house shut up shall be occupied by soldiers. Five thousand are there now, five more expected. What shall we do? Mother remained, sending Miriam for me, determined to keep us there rather than sacrifice both our lives and property by remaining here. But then... Two weeks from now the yellow fever will break out. Mother has the greatest horror of it, and we have never had it. Dying is not much in the present state of our affairs, but the survivor will suffer even more than we do now. If we stay, how shall we live? I have seventeen hundred dollars in Confederate notes now in my running bag, and three or four in silver. The former will not be received there, the latter might last two days. If we save our house and furniture, it is at the price of starving. I am of the opinion that we should send for mother, and with what money we have, make our way somewhere in the interior, to some city where we can communicate with the boys and be advised by them. This is not living. Home is lost beyond all hope of recovery. If we wait, what we have already saved will go, too. So we had better leave at once with what clothing we have, which will certainly establish us on the footing of ladies if we chance to fall among vulgar people who never look beyond. I fear the guerrillas will attack the town to-night. If they do, God help Mother. General Williams offered Miriam an escort when he found she was without a protector in the most fatherly way. He must be a good man. She thanked him, but said she felt perfectly safe on that road. He bit his lip, understanding the allusion, and did not insist. She was to deliver a message from parties in town to the first guerrillas they met concerning the safest roads, and presently six met them and entered into conversation. She told them of the proffered escort, when one sprang forward, crying, "'Why didn't you accept, miss?' The next time ask for one, and if it is at all disagreeable to you, I am the very man to rid you of such an inconvenience. I'll see that you are not annoyed long. I am glad it was not sent. She would have reproached herself with murder for ever after. I wonder if the general would have risked it. Baton Rouge, June 3rd. Well, day before yesterday I almost vowed I would not return, and last evening I reached here. Verily, consistency, thou art a jewel. I determined to get to town to lay both sides of the question before mother, saving home and property by remaining, thereby cutting ourselves off forever from the boys and dying of yellow fever, or flying to Mississippi, losing all save our lives. So as Mrs. Bruno was panic-stricken and determined to die in town rather than be starved at Greenwell, and was going in on the same wagon that came out the night before, 
I got up with her and Nettie, and left Greenwell at ten yesterday morning, bringing nothing except this old book, which I would rather not lose, as it has been an old and kind friend during these days of trouble. At first I avoided all mention of political affairs, but now there is nothing else to be thought of. If it is not burnt for treason, I will like to look it over some day, if I live." I left Greenwell without ever looking around it, beyond one walk to the hotel, so I may say I hardly know what it looks like. Miriam stayed, much against her will, I fear, to bring in our trunks if I could send a wagon. A guerrilla picket stopped us before we had gone a mile, and seemed disposed to turn us back. We said we must pass, our all was at stake. They then entreated us not to enter, saying it was not safe. I asked if they meant to burn it. We will help try it, was the answer. I begged them to delay the experiment until we could get away. One waved his hat to me and said he would fight for me. Hope he will, at a distance. They asked if we had no protectors. None, we said. "'Don't go, then,' and they all looked so sorry for us. "'We said we must. Starvation and another panic awaited us out there. "'Our brothers were fighting, our fathers dead. "'We had only our own judgment to rely on, "'and that told us home was the best place for us. "'If the town must burn, let us burn in our houses "'rather than be murdered in the woods.' "'They looked still more sorry, but still begged us not to remain.' We would, though, and one young boy called out as we drove off, "'What's the name of that young lady who refused the escort?' I told him, and they too expressed the greatest regret that she had not accepted. We met many on the road, nearly all of whom talked to us, and as they were most respectful in their manner, though they saw us in a mule team, we gave them all the information we could, which was all news to them, though very little.' such a ride in the hot sun perched up in the air one of the servants remarked miss sarah ain't ashamed to ride in a wagon with truth i replied no i was never so high before two miles from home we met the first federal pickets and then they grew more numerous until we came on a large camp near our graveyard filled with soldiers and cannon from first to last none refrained from laughing at us, not aloud, but they would grin and be inwardly convulsed with laughter as we passed. One laughed so comically that I dropped my veil hastily for fear he would see me smile. I could not help it. If anyone smiled at me while I was dying, I believe I would return it. We passed crowds, for it was now five o'clock, and all seemed to be promenading. There were several officers standing at the corner near our house who were very much amused at our vehicle. I did not feel like smiling then. After reducing us to riding in a mule team, they were heartless enough to laugh. I forgot them presently and gave my whole attention to getting out respectably. Now getting in a wagon is bad enough, but getting out... I hardly know how I managed it. I had fully three feet to step down before reaching the wheel. Once there the driver picked me up and set me on the pavement. The net I had gathered my hair in fell in my descent, and my hair swept down halfway between my knee and ankle in one stream. 
As I turned to get my little bundle, the officers had moved their position to one directly opposite to me, where they could examine me at leisure. Queens used to ride drawn by oxen hundreds of years ago, so I played this was old times, the mules were oxen, I a queen, and stalked off in a style I am satisfied would have imposed on Juno herself. When I saw them as I turned, they were perfectly quiet, but Nettie says up to that moment they had been in convulsions of laughter with their handkerchiefs to their faces. It was not polite." I found mother safe, but the house was in the most horrible confusion. Jimmy's empty cage stood by the door. It had the same effect on me that empty coffins produce on others. Oh, my birdie! At six I could no longer stand my hunger. I had fasted for twelve hours, with the exception of a mouthful of hoe-cake at eleven. I that never fasted in my life, except last Ash Wednesday, when Lydia and I tried it for breakfast, and got so sick we were glad to atone for it at dinner. So I got a little piece of bread and corn-beef from Mrs. Dagra's servant, for there was not a morsel here, and I did not know where or what to buy. Presently some kind friend sent me a great shortcake, a dish of strawberry preserves, and some butter, which I was grateful for, for the fact that the old negro was giving me part of her supper made me rather sparing, though she cried, "'Eat it all, honey, I get plenty more.' Mother went to Cousin Will's, and I went to Mrs. Bruno's to sleep, and so ended my first day's ride on a mule team. Bah! A lady can make anything respectable by the way she does it. What do I care if I had been driving mules? Better that than walk seventeen miles. I met Dr. Duchesne and Dr. Castleton twice each this morning. They were as kind to me as they were to the girls the other day. The latter saved them a disagreeable visit while here. He and those three were packing some things in the hall when two officers passed and prepared to come in, seeing three good-looking girls seemingly alone, for Miriam's dress hid Dr. Castleton as he leaned over the box. Just then she moved, the doctor raised his head, and the officers started back with an awe of surprise. The doctor called them as they turned away, and asked for a pass for the young ladies. They came back bowing and smiling, said they would write one in the house, but they were told very dryly that there were no writing accommodations there. They tried the fascinating, and were much mortified by the coldness they met. Dear me, why wasn't I born old and ugly? Suppose I should unconsciously entrap some magnificent Yankee. What an awful thing it would be! Sentinels are stationed at every corner. Dr. Castleton piloted me safely through one expedition, but on the next we had to part company, and I passed through a crowd of at least fifty alone. They were playing cards in the ditch and swearing dreadfully, these pious Yankees. Many were marching up and down, some sleeping on the pavement, others picking odious bugs out of each other's heads. I thought of the gorillas, yellow fever and all, and wished they were all safe at home with their mothers and sisters, and we at peace again. What a day I have had! Here mother and I are alone, not a servant on the lot. 
We will sleep here to-night, and I know she will be too nervous to let me sleep. The dirt and confusion were extraordinary in the house. I could not stand it, so I applied myself to making it better. I actually swept two whole rooms. I ruined my hands at gardening, so it made no difference. I replaced piles of books, crockery, china that Miriam had left packed for Greenwell. I discovered I could empty a dirty hearth, dust, move heavy weights, make myself generally useful and dirty, and all this is thanks to the Yankees. Poor me! This time last year I thought I would never walk again. If I am not laid up forever after the fatigue of this last week, I shall always maintain I have a constitution. But it all seems nothing in this confusion. Everything is almost as bad as ever. Besides that, I have been flying around to get Miriam a wagon. I know she is half distracted at being there alone. Mother chose staying with all its evils. Charlie's life would pay the penalty of a cotton-burner if he returned, so Lily remains at Greenwell with him. We three will get on as best we can here. I wrote to the country to get a wagon, sent a pass from headquarters, but I will never know if it reached her until I see her in town. I hope it will. I would be better satisfied with Miriam. End of Book One, Part Five